Again, whether you're in the room or joining online, a lot of fun to be together, a lot of fun to have an opportunity to do things like celebrate salvations and celebrate seven of those. And we're actually going to come back to that and talk about that a little bit more uh, at the end, even expand on that a little bit. So love the chance to be together. And last week was significant. We, we celebrated not just le- like the event of this, this resurrection, but actually the resurrected person of Jesus. And we just locked in as much as we could in the direction of the person of Jesus and thought about this reality of what does his resurrection really make possible in, in our lives. And really, that's the beginning of this relationship with Jesus. And the, the rest of this relationship with Jesus is, is a day-to-day thing. It's, it's marked by our walking with him and our experiencing life with him. And every, every relationship is marked by encounters, right? I mean, it's just part of what marks relationships. And an encounter is, is any kind of unexpected interchange of people, right? It, it could be you have an encounter against a crisis or in a challenge or just almost sometimes what feels like a fluke encounter, just unexpected. You don't really see it coming, but there's some type of, of relational interchange there, right? It can happen for the first time. We all have first-time encounters with people, right? So uh, a week or so ago, my wife Erica and I, we, uh, we were going to go out to eat and we were uh, going to On the Border. It's kind of one of our staple places. We really like it, right? We're, we're going to go to On the Border but it was going to take a little bit to, to, to get a seat. And so we wandered into the mall next door and we were just looking at Barnes and Noble. She likes to read. I like to read. So we can kill lots of time in Barnes and Noble. I mean, just, and I was standing there hungry, but standing there and I'm just looking at like the biography section of these, of the books. And I don't read a lot of biographies. I read some, but I'm thinking, man, summer's coming. Are there any good biographies? Maybe I want to read a biography this summer when I change my reading pace quite a bit. And I'm just standing there and kind of up next to me walks this guy and he's kind of looking at the section too, you know, I'm pulling some books off and I'm like, that's great, you know. But then he starts talking to me like about the section and like, you know, what, what books have I read and what biographies have I read and do I think this would be a good one and what about this one over here? And I just want to tell you, like all of the introvert in me was just screaming and dying like, no, like do people really do this? Like, we've never met, like, like, Erica, like, I mean, it was like, I'm just having a moment, right? Like, where things are not clicking for me, right? And I, I mean, I've got just enough, you know, social acumen. We, we had a very pleasant conversation. We, we introduced ourselves to each other, talked about some books. We actually end up reading some of the same types of books and had some common authors and, that we like to read and everything else. And so, it was kind of this unique moment, but then, you know, eventually Erica, Erica emerges from wherever she was, not saving me, right? But she emerges to save me. And it's like, hey, the, uh, I just got the text, dinner's ready. I'm like, hey, all right, see, you know, like, it's like, man, it's like, what just happened here? Like, it's an encounter, right? It's the first time I've ever, ever met this guy, right? First time. Erica, on the other hand, uh, Erica and I have been married almost 25 years. It'll be 25 years this summer. We dated for a while before that. We knew each other a while before that. Way over the majority of our life, we've known each other. Okay? A lot, we've known each other a lot, of, a lot of years. Okay, But recently, um, I had an encounter with, with Erica. Uh, we, we've been kind of tackling this, this kitchen remodeling project thing. And some of it we've been trying to do on our learn how to do some things, which has been a lot of fun, right? And, and we were coming up against something the other day that was, was going to be brand new to us. And we had gotten a little bit of coaching, but we're like, it's going to be new to us. And before we did it, I'm just like, man, you, you know what? Like, when we get to this part of that, she's going to be better at that than me. Like, I just understand that she's going to be better at that than me. It's going to take both of us some learning, 
but she's, she's just going to be better. And I'm, I'm great. I'm fine with that. And I understand what she's better at. That. That's fine, right? But we actually got to it and we're like, okay, and I'm kind of internally bracing myself. This is going to take us a while. It's the first time either one of us have done this kind of thing. We're going to be here a while. She's going to be better. And I even said, like, I'm going to lean on you. Like, you're, you're going to have to lead the charge here, right? And it will just take as long as it takes, right? And we get into doing this thing and she's got it figured out, done and completed in like five minutes. And I was like, man, I was kind of bracing for like hours of this or whatever, right? And like, I knew, like, I knew like her mind would eventually get there. I had no idea how much natural thinking ability she had in that little arena of life. And I'm, I just remember thinking, holy cow, like, this is like a whole new encounter for me. We've been married 25 years and known each other for way years beyond that. And I'm still having these moments with her where I encounter an unexpected thing that is true about her, an unexpected quality or skill that is true about her. You and I have encounters like this all the time. Sometimes with people we've never met, their first time encounters. Sometimes with people we've known our whole lives. Relationships keep moving, right? They keep growing. And all throughout the story of God and the scriptures, the story of God and humanity, it's these encounters, God with people and people with God and this back and forth and this interchange. And in these encounters, we certainly learn some things about God. We certainly learn some things about ourselves. We certainly learn some things about who we are and also who we can be because of who God is. This, this morning, I wanna start by looking at an encounter that Jesus has with, with someone. In order to kind of get us rolling, I want to invite you to turn New Testament to your Bible, Luke chapter five. Luke is a, is a letter written kind of, it is a biography of Jesus' life. Luke is writing to a friend of his, Theophilus, and he's writing to Theophilus basically kind of say, look, th- this, is who, um, this is who Jesus is. I just, Theophilus, I want to give you the most clear picture I can. And Luke's a doctor, so he writes in some really fascinating detail. It's, it's, a, it's a really cool, cool book. And inside of this letter, like a lot of the letters we have about Jesus' life, we, we see Jesus encountering people. We see these encounters that, that take place with Jesus. And inside every encounter, we see something about Jesus. The relationship encounter, we, we, we see something that gives us a window, like a little bigger glimpse into who Jesus is, but also how he relates to us and what he brings to our life and what that means for our life. Now today, just before we start this, I want to say we're going to read an encounter that for the, the guy in the story, it's, it's a pretty dramatic encounter. Not every encounter with Jesus is a dramatic encounter. Some encounters, like in one moment, the course of an entire life or an entire family changes. Some encounters are like a smaller building block along the way. It's just, it's a little bit of a building. There's a, there's a slight course change. There's a slight revelation. It just becomes a building block that the next encounter builds on, the next encounter builds on, right? Because with Jesus, it's a day-to-day relationship, right? He's invited us into a relationship. This encounter today that we're gonna read, it's, it's dramatic to the guy in the story. Some of you today will have a dramatic encounter with this, this part of Jesus, this quality expressed by Jesus. Some of you today, you'll have a much more like a building block encounter. You'll get acquainted with this quality of Jesus. You'll, you'll experience Jesus in this way. Some of you will be a reacquainting with Jesus in this particular expression of Jesus' love in your direction. But let's just kind of open ourselves up to it and let's dive into the story. Luke chapter five, we're actually gonna start reading in verse 12. So Jesus is doing some, some teaching and, and he's actually been performing some miracles. He's called his first followers to him, the closest, the disciples who, who will follow him and learn from him. And starting in verse 12, this is what we read. 
While Jesus was in one of the towns, okay, he just keeps going town to town, a man came along. Do you hear the encounter? It's already unexpected, right? Here comes this guy. Jesus is here. Now here comes this guy, right? When Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. Let's just talk about this guy for a second. You may have heard about leprosy, uh, right? Oftentimes it's, it's, it's viewed as a skin disease, which in some ways it, it often is. Like it's this, it can be this skin disease where people literally their skin would start uh, to, to rot and decay, become so diseased until literally parts of their body w- would fall off. It, it's a gruesome, awful disease. Often what was happening in, inside of leprosy though is, is that people would lose, the fun- their nerves would quit functioning. So they couldn't feel anything anymore. So, so if somebody had leprosy and, and they were hit with a hammer, they wouldn't even know they were hit with a hammer. People with leprosy uh, would walk along and scrape up against something that would cut them, and they would have no idea they had been cut. They would have no idea that a deeper infection had set in. They they would have no idea. Oftentimes, uh, people with leprosy, uh, they would lay down next to a fire at night to keep them warm. And there are stories of of lepers who would roll over at night, and because they have no feeling in their actual actual skin, parts of their body, they might roll partway into a fire and not know it and sleep through it and wake up having burned off parts of, of a limb or a hand, right? It's, it's a gruesome, terrible disease. Not, not only is it gruesome and terrible, but, but the moment somebody was, was diagnosed with leprosy, they had to live outside the town, outside the little village they were from, because people didn't know what to do with it. They didn't really know how it was transmitted. They didn't really know how to cure anybody. They didn't, right? But nobody wanted to, to catch it, and so they would have to live outside the town. So let's just think about this guy for a second, right? Let's just imagine for a minute that he's, that he's 18 or 19 years old. In that culture, maybe, could have been married by that point. If not, maybe close to married, maybe engaged, maybe dreaming about it, probably learning the family trade, whatever that was. Maybe still living at home, if not still living at home, a definitely deeply ingrained in family function, family life. And in the moment he's diagnosed with leprosy, all of that's gone. What if he's in his 30s and he is married and he's got some kids and he's actually kind of running the family trade by this point and they've got family traditions and they've got, they've got family game night, whatever that is for them. And he's got people who maybe work in his family trade that depend on his trade. And he's got friends that he hangs out with on the weekends. And, and then he's diagnosed with leprosy and all of that's gone. What if he's, what if he's in his, his, his mid or late 50s and he's in the process of handing off the family trade to one of his kids and looking forward to a, a, a new season with his wife? What if he's looking forward to being a, a grandpa What if he's got 50 some years of, of going to the local temple or environments like this where he would read and engage the scriptures with the other followers of Jesus in his community? What, when he's diagnosed with leprosy, all of that's gone. From the moment of, of diagnosis with, with leprosy, there's, there's no more touch. There's no more of whatever the normal pattern of life was, the, the, the comfort that could come from a rhythm in life. All of that is, 
is taken away in a, in a moment, in one diagnosis. Do, do you see how it's more than a skin disease? It's like a, it's like a, it's like a life sentence of, of sorts. And this guy comes along with this, this leprosy. And look at what he does right in the middle of all of his, his suffering. He says this, when he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and he begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you could make me clean. He sees Jesus. He gets into the proximity of Jesus somehow, which would have meant that because he was kind of having to live on the outskirts. Now, whenever he came around people, he would have had to have been yelling unclean. That's how he would have had to announce his presence. Unclean, unclean, right? He somehow gets close enough to Jesus. And he falls on the ground and he begs Jesus. You see, when, when you and I have an encounter with Jesus, when we, when we have a unique moment with Jesus that oftentimes is unexpected, a couple of things happen. And the first one is, there's always this sense of awe that we get to be this close to Jesus. That, that we get to be in this, this close of proximity that, that we can literally be in, in the presence of Jesus. And this guy just falls face to the ground. There's this, there's this sense of awe and this wonder and this amazement. And the second thing that happens is we get very comfortable declaring our desperation. When we have an encounter with Jesus, we get really comfortable declaring our desperation. Somehow Jesus like invites it. There's something about Jesus that, that when we encounter Jesus, there's something about him that, that makes our begging and pleading not just okay, but welcomed. This, this guy's probably lived desperate for, for years. But do you ever find yourself in some slice of your life where you live desperate long enough that it becomes so normal that you actually can't imagine your life living without that desperation anymore? And maybe you do stop begging and maybe you do stop pleading and there's something in Jesus and there's something in the presence of Jesus that it's like, this is the safest place to beg ever. It's part of what an encounter with Jesus does. I mean, it stirs an awe that, that also makes it okay to beg, which isn't that kind of interesting because most people we're in awe of are not the people we want to beg from. <laughs> right, they're the people we want to save face with. They're the people we want to look good to. They're the people we don't want to trouble, we don't want to bother. And with Jesus, it's actually the opposite. We're in so much awe that we feel a freedom to actually beg and plead. And that's, that's, that's this guy. After all of these years, we don't know how many, of having to live with, without the contact, without the rhythm, without the family structure, without the, the comforts of the, the community and the village. He begs and he pleads. And then look what Jesus does. Verse 13, Jesus, first thing he does, reached out his hand and he touched the man. He said, oh, yeah, I, I am so, so willing. 
don't know how you picture that. But, but I'm just convinced, I'm just convinced Jesus isn't touching him like with as minimal of contact as possible. You know, I'm just, you know. It sure seems like it's, it's way more likely that it's like a firm hand on the shoulder or an arm around, or maybe it's a full-on embrace. He says, oh, I'm willing. Let me show you how willing. What a remarkable expression of compassion. What a remarkable expression of compassion, huh? Compassion, um, all, all throughout the, the New Testament of the Bible, it's even used to actually describe Jesus at one point, and Jesus talked about compassion a little bit. Uh, compassion, th- there was a word used for it that talked about this, this like inner stirring and, and, and grumbling when you saw somebody suffering. It was so deep in. They would actually say that you would feel compassion in the bowels. It was so deep in there like, that you could hardly determine where it actually was when you saw somebody suffering and you were, and you were so moved by it. And that's a portion of what Jesus must be having here. Right? He comes across somebody who's lived outside of human contact for so long that just what we know about Jesus, we know he's got it, right? And the mere fact that Jesus responds to him, Jesus feels something. But, but compassion's two parts, and we see both parts with Jesus. Compassion is absolutely, compassion is absolutely when, when we see suffering, but it is also, it's not just to see suffering, it's also to take action to help the one suffering. Compassion sees suffering and takes action to help the one that's suffering. It, 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 it is both. To only see the suffering is not compassion. There's a lot of things we could call it. We might say we're empathetic. We might say we feel for somebody, right? But compassion is this merger of sight and action. Compassion contains action. And for this guy, aren't you glad? It's, it's, it's Jesus just reaching and saying, look, let, let, me, let me touch your body. And while I touch your body, let me heal your soul. I'm really great. I've, I've, never, had, I've never had to live years of my life without human contact. I can't imagine what that moment felt like. And it's sometimes like, it, it, it's easier. Sometimes maybe even we think like this, right? Like, but, but Jesus, why don't you just express the power? Like the guy wants to be healed, right? Just express the power. Like, Jesus, could you just flash the lightning, flex the muscle, outstretch the arm? Like, could you just, Jesus, I, we, just need your, we just need your power. And we do, like, we do like power, right? I mean, later in the New Testament Bible, there's even people who tried to buy power. Like they wanted to buy God's power so they could use it, right? I mean, there's this thing about power that, that somehow feels attractive sometimes, right? But, but here's, here's actually what we're getting to, what we're getting to see with Jesus in, in the middle of this, this whole thing. Is that with, with Jesus, compassion is often the first expression of his power. Compassion is often the first expression of his, compassion is part of his power. Compassion is part of his strength, which, which means this, 
that, that maybe we don't get the power without the compassion. And maybe sometimes we miss, the reason we miss the power is because we didn't notice the compassion. With, with Jesus, compassion is often the first expression of that power. You, you can't pull apart the power and the compassion with Jesus. You can't pull that apart. <laughs> Listen, isn't that at least on some level comforting? Let's, let's just be honest for a moment. We've talked about this some, but, but we live in a world where it's harder and harder and harder and harder to trust whoever we think has power in any environment, right? I, I, mean, I get it. Isn't there something comforting to know that the person with the most power also has the most compassion? That's Jesus with this guy. It's Jesus. And he touches him. The thing that nobody else could do, nobody else would dare do, that honestly, this guy probably didn't want anybody else to do. Jesus saw his suffering and did something to help him in his suffering. The, the, the encounter with, with, with Jesus, it, it helps us see that Jesus sees our suffering. He, but but here's, here's what it starts to, to cause us to ask ourselves is where are we suffering? Regardless of where your suffering measures on the Richter, Richter scale today, maybe your suffering is so small, maybe your suffering is so great, who knows, right? But where, where are you suffering? Because the first good news from this, from this story is that Jesus sees you in your suffering and wants to help you in your suffering. Look what, he, look what happens next with Jesus. I, I, I love this. He says, he says I'm, I'm willing. And then he says this, hey, be clean, be clean. And, and immediately, like immediately, the leprosy is, is gone from him. Look, 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 the, the leprosy being gone, you see it, the leprosy being gone? That's the second healing. The first healing was this guy's soul. This guy's heart, this, this guy's internal composition, right? His, that's the, the first healing was when he touched him and he righted and healed so many things that had been lacking, so many things that had been broken. The first healing was the heart and soul. The second healing, like the be clean, that is amazing and it's powerful, but it was led with the power of compassion. It's like, be, be clean. And just think in the moment what he gives back to this guy. He, give, he gives back access to the town. He gives back, he gets to go home with his family that night. Maybe he gets to go back to work the next day. Maybe he gets, right? I mean, think of all that comes flooding back. Everything that was lost with one word, a one word diagnosis is restored with two words. Be clean, be clean, be clean. It's Jesus, it's Jesus being very powerful, very powerful. But, but with Jesus, compassion's often the first expression of that power. And as we, as we sit in it today, I mean, I, I just wonder like, where, where do we identify with this, this guy just a little bit? 
where, where, are you, where are you suffering? And again, maybe your suffering started today. Maybe something didn't go well this morning. And maybe it's small and maybe you know what will pass quickly. But what if even in that, Jesus wanted to see you when you're suffering and help you when you're suffering? Maybe your suffering is grand. Maybe, maybe you've had suffering in a certain arena of your life for, for 30 or 40 years. I mean, maybe you struggled with something mentally, emotionally, physically, relationally. Maybe it's been for years. What if today was the day to just get acquainted with, with the Jesus or to get reacquainted with the Jesus who sees you in your suffering and wants to help you in your suffering? Because that's what compassion does. Let me just ask us two, two questions. First one, simply this. Where do you need the power of compassion? Where do you, just, just you, where do you need the power of compassion? What's that pain point in your life right now? Again, remember, remember I said this at the beginning. It, it may not feel as dramatic as this guy. It's okay. Don't make your life full of drama, please, right? It may not feel dramatic. Where do you need the power of compassion? The second one is just as important is, is where do you need to express the power of compassion? Who around you do you see their suffering? And it's time to act on it. It's time to actually make a move to try and help them in their suffering. It's no longer enough to see their suffering. It's time to make a move. It's time to change the way you pray or it's time to change the way you engage. It's time to meet a tangible need. It's time to offer some different kind of support. It's time. Where, where is it? Where is it? That, that maybe simply your presence will be an incredible expression of compassion. Where do you need the power of compassion? Where do you need to express the power of compassion? Where are you suffering? Where do you see somebody else's suffering? 